Welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio, your source for breaking news, business trends, and economic forecasts here and abroad that impact one-third of America's economy. And now your hosts, Lou Weiss and Tim Grady. And welcome everyone to this episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio. My name is Tim Grady and I'm here with my co-host Lou Weiss. And Lou, we're going to be talking about Parsable today and I don't want to steal our guest's thunder on what that is, but we'll have many questions. Looks like an interesting company. Uh, They are. I had the privilege of having a conversation with them, so why don't we get uh, right into it. Uh, Great. Lawrence? Lawrence Whittle? Join us. Hi, yeah, this is Lawrence. And Lawrence is the CEO of Parsable. And Lawrence, I'm going to have you explain to our audience what what I'm reading here. Work or platform built to digital. Go for it. Yeah, great. So, um, well, first of all, really appreciate uh, joining the session today. I think this will be a a really, uh, I think, topical discussion. Um, So, as uh, you mentioned, I'm the CEO of Parsable, as you can probably hear originally from the UK. Um, I've been in the US. for uh, over the last 10 years, and, uh, and, and I'm very passionate about the, the industrial market and specifically manufacturing. So although I'm sat here in my uh, San Francisco head office, um, I'm uh, most of the time out in the, in the field with my customers in, in the Midwest, on the East Coast, or in, uh, in, in Europe. And, and over at Passable, we build a, a really interesting business that I think is aligning with what's happening in the, in, in the manufacturing world, which is there is a, you know, an ever-increasing recognition of a new way of working and we've built a platform that enables industrial companies to digitize execute measure and then transform the way that work is executed very much focused on that sort of last mile where you know the work is actually being done whether it's a a maintenance uh, uh, work whether it's a line changeovers etc in a very simple sense we're replacing you know the years and years and years of tacit knowledge that's in the uh, minds of the workers, um, prints off some systems, walkie-talkies and binders into a modern set of digital tools with the objective to drive productivity, efficiency, and safety um, at scale. Well, that's quite a combination of uh, things from uh, uh, cost savings and safety and kind of curious how that all blends together. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a really interesting discussion when when we think about um, work um, in the context of you know manufacturing um, people people often think about you know machines they think about humans what our whole view is is that the whole now and certainly the future of manufacturing is this ability for humans and machines to operate in a symbiotic sense and so if you think about you know a manufacturing process you'll have raw materials go in You'll have people setting up a production line, a production line will run, um, and then finished product uh, comes off. At every stage that there is a human interaction, it's really important that that work is executed correctly first time, every time. Because if people know the right way to execute work, uh, typically that drives productivity because you avoid rework. Productivity uh, correlates with quality, and then ultimately, if the worker is operating in a safe environment, the safety correlates with quality and, uh, and efficiency. Whereas in the past, people have often looked at safety or quality or you know, continuous improvement as almost like separate departments. Our view is that if you can provide a platform 
that enables every step of the process where humans and machines interact with a digital guide, ability to collect data, you ultimately drive those three primary uh, objectives, which again is, uh, is quality, safety, and efficiency. So let me, let me just make it clear. We're talking about a software program that does uh, uh, monitoring of all different functions up and downstream of manufacturing, whether it's uh, robotic or human. Is that yeah, um, if you think about, you know, the way I often boil this down into very simple terms, if you think about a standard operating procedure, you know, how you should do a, uh, you know, a lockout, tagout on a piece of machinery, how you should do maintenance, um, they're all standard operating procedures. What we're doing is putting all of those processes into a common platform so that the latest and greatest way to execute work is digitally uh, recorded and then the ability to actually interact with that software to collect data on what's actually happening. Again, what's really interesting is that this is a very well understood problem. If you think about like Kaizen, people do Kaizans to see how we can improve the process. What we're effectively doing is putting that into a single platform of digitized SOPs, but in the addition is to be able to collect data, interact with machines to understand how to improve that process. So is this uh, business model that of a subscription, monthly subscription, or uh, is it you buy the software? Or how, how does that work? Yeah, it's a, it's a very, very good question. Um, you know, when we started the company uh, in 2013, one of the things we really wanted to do was to make uh, the ability for any industrial company to actually, you know, adopt this in bite-sized chunks. So you subscribe to the platform based on um, how many people you want to use it and how many sites. And as you start to get this momentum, then you can add. So it, you know, companies will typically start with a few sites, a few use cases on a subscription basis, and then you can expand into it. And the reason for doing that is that what we have uncovered is that if we can make the users, the industrial workers, the frontline workers where the, you know, the rubber's hitting the road, really comfortable with this solution, the value is actually quite obvious because you've got this natural friction of paper, uh, natural interactions of you know, what is the best practice, how's the machine performing, but we want people to feel comfortable. So it's a subscription basis where you can start with a scope and then add as you go forward. And you know, our smallest customer could be you know, a handful of users. Our biggest customer is 37,000 users, and that's based on how they decide to deploy this across different business lines, different use cases at scale. But it's on a very simple subscription model. Um, so it's a software as a service, and you can subscribe and then expand as you see the value, value growing. You know, Tim and I have been uh, doing manufacturing talk radio plus our other podcasts now for about six years. And uh, we've seen a tremendous growth in those six years of companies migrating to uh, from a, a standard uh, dark, dirty, dangerous environment uh, to those who are uh, buying into uh, digital. And uh, even though they don't really have the time because they're busy making things, uh, they, there, there's a lot that's going on in your industry right now and has been for probably the last two, three years. Um, so do you find, you know, a company that has 37,000 employees, that's, that's no so small task in getting everybody to buy in 
Um, And the smaller companies uh, uh, take a 10, 15 man or woman uh, manufacturing plant. uh, You know, they're pretty busy and uh, they may or may not have the um, uh, the the talent on online that can actually buy into train everyone else. How do you deal with all of that? Both sides. of Yeah. No, it's it's a it's a it's a very very uh, important question. If you'd have asked me that question when we started the business, you know, seven years ago, I, I may have given you a different answer to the answer I'll give you now. Um, so what's happened, I think, is that the, there's a there's a number of uh, sort of macroeconomic, uh, almost sort of existential risks that are impacting manufacturing. If you think about uh, two weeks ago, the, the World Economic Forum, uh, the two hot subjects were, you know, sustainability of the industrial market in the context of the environment, and then the future of work in terms of how are we going to actually move from where we are today to the next hundred years. Most, you know, many of our customers are like decades old, hundreds of years, you know, over a hundred years old, and the change that we're now experiencing, um, and the speed of change, is related to, I think, three things. So first of all. A lot of the technology that, um, and I'm probably going to date myself, but you know, when I think about the technology that manufacturing companies started to use, um, you know, in the 90s, this was sort of the emergence of you know MRP um, and ERP, and it was the you know the classic big enterprise, heavy to use, difficult to use solutions because it was really focused on the company out rather than the user in. The quick answer to your question is that the adoption is related to the way we've developed the product. It's more like a consumer experience because we did a lot of very, very clear you know, primary research to actually see how work was really done. We didn't want to sort of just guess. We actually you know, went into manufacturing sites, sent our programmers in there to actually see how work was being done. And then secondly, uh, which I really think is accelerating, if you think about the demographic of the industrial marketplace, you know, I don't hear the term as often now, you know, blue-collar workers, but if you ask the average person, you know, what, does it, what do they think about a blue-collar worker, it's sort of that 20-, 30-year veteran that has that tacit knowledge. Um, what's happened over the last few years, you know, there's a study I was reading last week around from Deloitte just talking about there's, you know, just under 3 million baby boomers uh, soon to retire. Um, they're predicting, you know, a shortage uh, because as work changes and people retire. So... The adoption has accelerated because I think the technologies like Passable now are designed for a end-user experience in the manufacturing context, not so much sat at a desk, coupled with just the availability of mobile solutions. And thirdly, the demographic shift, as you've started to get you know, the need to capture the tacit knowledge of the 30-year veteran, you have to do that digitally before they retire. And then as you bring in the new generation of workers, you know, the millennials, um, you know, they've been brought up on these digital technologies. So I think you've got a almost a collision of multiple forces, which has taken what you stated as a legitimate objection a few years ago, three, four years ago for sure, to now be far less of an issue because the change management side of this is being really facilitated by the demographic shift, the availability of these technologies, and also I think a recognition, even on a, a small manufacturing company, let alone a global manufacturing company, I think they realize that these modern digital tools need to be now deployed and they do work because they've increasingly been designed for this sort of new way of working. I'm not saying it's not a challenge. You know, you, you talk about this 37,000. You know, I, I literally was amazed um, with this particular customer because they have, I think, 43 
country they're operating in. But they sort of stepped back and said, look, let's think about how we can do this. And they started on safety. So there's also some interesting areas that, combined with the technology is also thinking about, you know, what's the way to drive acceptance of a new way of working? Well, maybe go on areas which, you know, are very, very clearly beneficial for the company and the work. And safety is often where, where people start. So it, it's still a challenge because you are moving from this historical way of working to the current way of working to a new way of working. But the appetite, I think, of manufacturing companies, um, particularly those that uh, you know are, are experiencing these sort of demographic challenges of the aging worker and the new millennials. So, so that's a bit of a long answer, but I thought it justified it because I think it's one of the biggest drivers to the adoption is this new environment. Well, it, it's an interesting point you bring up because you're right. Uh, we don't hear the term often "blue collar worker." Uh, right. Except I did hear it this week in the State of the Union message where it was termed as a blue-collar boom, um, which kind of ages us all when, in yep. fact, we're not the blue-collar boom. We are the digital boom, and uh, I don't think that the millennials uh, or even some of the baby boomers that have graduated out of the blue-collar mentality uh, you are now wearing white coats and uh, uh, nice shiny floors and so on. So I think the blue-collar boom is something of uh, 50 years ago. Yeah, no, it's exactly, you know, I, 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 I'm sort of smiling when I'm listening to you. You know, I, I'm, a, I'm a huge believer in um, making sure that people understand what, what real work is in terms of ma manufacturing. And, you know, if you think about... You know, baby boomers, you know, the, the youngest is 56, the oldest is 73 that's still working. Um, right. You know, that, that, was the, that was the, you know, the first sort of decades ago. Then you've got sort of Generation X and then obviously you've got millennials. Um, it's really just a continuation of, of how things are, are growing. And, and you know, I, I often say to people when, when I'm interviewing people, even, you know, people that aren't sort of working with my customers, they're maybe developers. Do you know anyone in your family that wears a hard hat? Um, and it's interesting when you say that to people, oh, right, so it's people that wear hard hats. That's right. They're doing real work. They're just increasingly doing work with a, in, a, in a digital environment. It's still real work. It's more of that sort of intersection of a mechanical engineer with a, with a, with a, a master's of, you know, mechanical engineer with a minor in, in data. And I think it's just this, you know, this type of technology is now moving into manufacturing. And, you know, the, the, the comment you made around, uh, you know, the, the sort of the political environment, you know, I think that people, uh, I encourage, you know, I've got a couple of uh, kids at a, a college and I, I, I tell them, look, I, I think jobs of the future in manufacturing are really exciting because you've got that mechanical engineering but with high tech intersecting to it. So, you know, blue collar used to have like a connotation. I think it's actually, you know, it, it's the modern digital worker is, is in the industrial environment now. Correct. I do have one question to ask you. What was the generation prior to the baby boomer? The seventy-four-year-old the today. Yeah, is so that still, um, is that still part of the great generation? Yeah, so there's there's various. Uh, it's an interesting, you know, there's various definitions. So, <laughs> you know, you sort of had baby boomers. Uh, the the category of baby boomers uh, was the was nineteen sixty-four um, was the uh, the sort of cutoff. Uh, Sixty-five was the next generation. So up till nineteen sixty-four, anyone born before then. 
uh, was categorized baby boomer. 1965 is when the generation X started. And then mm -hmm. interestingly enough, when we think about the term, which is the next generation millennials, you know, the oldest millennial actually is now 39. So, you know, time flies, um, you know, when you think about millennials, uh, et cetera. But really, you know, baby boomers, which is sort of from the, you know, 40s, 50s, uh, into the 60s and then middle of the 1960s Generation X came along and then you know now Generation X um, you know uh, starting in 1965 so it's really an interesting and, and what's really fascinating why I love these conversations um, is, is that you know that concept of those generations in the in the workforce when you're sat in Silicon Valley it's it's quite interesting yeah you know you've got people that, you know the concept of baby boomers um, people that were working in the 50s and 60s are still working you know it's pretty interesting it's it's a really really positive thing i think about manufacturing is that it's managed this generation change and and i think it's managed as well and you know people have heard this sort of fourth uh, you know industrial fourth generation of sort of business and really that's just a continuation of what's been going on for you know a long time and i think you know what's really exciting for me and my business is that finally you know, these modern digital tools have been developed and are available to really facilitate, you know, the, the next generation of, uh, of manufacturing. So getting uh, back to your product, um, uh, let's take a, an example for the sake of our listeners. Let's say you have a company that's between 50 and 100 people, and they're looking to go uh, digital. They're looking to take advantage of all the, the new whiz-bang technologies. What does it take uh, in terms of uh, Im implementation uh, from uh, uh, review to implementation to determining the value that the uh, client is receiving from your uh, program? Yeah, it's, it's a really uh, another really great question in the context of you know the perceived challenges. So, one of the benefits. Um, of the fact that we've scaled pretty big over the last couple of years. You know, we've got users in over uh, almost 10 sort of vertical markets. So, you know, auto, aero, um, oil and gas. So we've got a lot of experience around what are the use cases that could add maximum value. So whenever we engage with a new company, you know, let's just say it's a site, as you say, 30, 50 users, um, based on the type of manufacturing they are, we have a pretty good hypothesis of where the value could be and we'll go in with them to validate, you know, is this an area, preventative maintenance, for example, is that an area where you think there's value? And then we'll literally, within an hour or two, uh, put the solution into the hands of the people actually doing the work because rather than just like talking about it, let's actually go in there, let's, let's identify those two or three use cases, let's actually start working with it, like literally that day, and then within a few days, people then feel comfortable with it. So it's really about, past times of value, not, not, don't map out every possible area we could use, find a few use cases, find a handful of users. What you often want is, uh, is someone that uh, you, know, you can sort of see, and it's actually not an age issue actually, that you can be find in every company, there's two or three people that are actually curious around new technology, um, and if they understand the process, we literally just work with them. So we, we want to get live within a few days, um, and we want people to be really using it within, you know, week or two so that within a 30-day elapsed time you've sort of proven out two things number one that the actual workers feel comfortable with the solution and number two you start to see you're collecting this data which is enabling you to really see the value so we want to get value within 30 days we want users to be using it within hours we want people to be working in it within days and then you know 
we take a first touch point after a, after a few weeks. And then we look the next set of use cases. So it's sort of like an iterative approach. Do you find that there's much um, pushback from the, uh, the workers on the floor using uh, something new and making change? Uh, we all know that people resist change, but I would think this is change for the better in, on many counts, including the, uh, the worker on the shop floor. Yeah, so I, I think, um, again, if I sort of date back you know, five years ago, um, yeah, there was, pro you, know, that they, you know, if those workers have been given any, any technology in the last 10 years, it's normally been pretty clunky technology. So I would say mm -hmm. they are, um, skeptical is probably the right word, you know, they're cautious, you know, is this another technology is actually not. So, but what is interesting, there is a desire, there is a desire, because if you think about a lot of the, really boil it down to one of the basic starting points is replacing binders. So, you know, they, they have to do busy work anyway. They, they've got to like fill out stuff. So I, I think the desire is there. Um, there is a hesitation until they see it. But I think once they realize, actually, this is not about, you know, doing anything other than making everyone more efficient, giving them access to data, and making sure they know the, the, the next best patches. So one of the things we've really learned uh, you know, we're a technology company. We've got some very interesting, very advanced software, a lot of data. But what we've also learned is that the intersection of how you explain and how you adopt, that's still a very person-to-person, -person, you know, exercise to get started with. Because once they get comfortable with it, then it goes at its own pace. So, you know, like every company, that's, there's always someone, you know, if you think about the decades, you know, centuries ago, you had, you had the, the term the Luddites, you know, the Luddites were people that always smash machines. Well, you know, every company has a couple of Luddites around, but generally, I think the desire is there now, and now these solutions have been sort of possible, have been sort of optimized for that particular user. Uh, the objections are, uh, are, are almost non-existent. The, the, perhaps the biggest objection is, you know, how can we do more? Um, okay. because then you need to figure out where to next. So there's a, I think there's an initial hesitancy, then people get really excited, and it's about, okay, now how do we really go, uh, go big? So there's sort of various layers of this, but you know, I, I'm just delighted around the, the desire, even from the 30, 40-year veterans, because there's very, th there's very few people that you know, don't send a text message, even if they're a 30, 40-year veteran. Um, I think they've been waiting for technology, and they now recognize that it actually helps them do their work. It's not to stop, you know, to hinder them doing their work. Lawrence, I, I uh, have to ask you a couple of questions and pay you a compliment. You mentioned that you send your programmers in to work with the client. And, and to that I say brilliant, mate, because I have often wished that companies would send me a programmer so that I could work with them to show them how I interface with their software. Now, they might leave in a body bag because some of their software <laughs> is awful. So I am interested in how you go about going into a company and understanding how their employee interfaces with a machine. Are you physically standing next to them, watching the buttons they push and the order they push them in? How does that happen? Yeah, so... Um when we started the company, that's exactly what we did. Um, because we've got 
very, very smart people in our company that know how to build modern digital tools. What the secret on the success of our company is really understanding where work is taking place. We want to actually observe, you know, really observe it and see, you know, when do they interact with the machine? When are they going back to a binder? So we can actually understand the process because it's not about just taking the current process and making a digital version of it. It's actually figuring out how we can enhance the process. So, you know, back in the day when we started, the amount of primary research we did was, uh, was clear. And, and, you know, if you come into any of my main offices, you'll see a, a selection of, uh, of uh, you know, still toe-capped uh, boots and hard hats. And we say to people, right, when we're bringing out a new release, we say to some of the engineers, right, go and pick out your hard hat, go and pick out your still toe boots because <laughs> we're going to. And by the way, it's not a joke because we want them to see. And, they, we, and it, by the way, it's really interesting because once you get some of these, you know, our definition of an engineer, uh, to actually see uh, real work being done, it's actually very, very interesting because they actually get a lot out of it um, because, you know, you don't actually see that type of work being done. And then obviously the customer gets a lot out of it because then, you know, we're not going to stick something out there that, you know, is difficult to use. And I think it's a really, I, I think it was probably the best decision we made, which is this, is this like collision of, you know, high tech, you know, consumer oriented you know, software engineers with, you know, traditional people like myself that, you know, are tech but understand, and we got those people in, and, you know, and whenever we hire people, one of the questions I ask is, you know, is there anyone in your family that wears a hard hat? And it's a, it's a really interesting conversation because they, if they do, they can, they can visualize what, what goes on. And, uh, and we think that's fundamentally important because the new way of working, you know, ladies and gentlemen, guess what, does include humans. You know, they're not going away. There's actually a predicted shortage of them. But what we need to do is to arm them with modern digital tools that reflect the work they're doing, which is often noisy, dusty, uh, dangerous. Um, and I think that's, and I do appreciate you saying that comment because I do believe fundamentally that's why, you know, unlike a lot of software companies, we've managed to crack the code on this because we, we put the effort in of, you know, going around, you know, America, going around Europe, going around Asia to actually see what was actually going on. and. I think that's put us in very, and we continue to do that with new releases as well. No, I think that's a, an excellent approach, uh, and I'm fascinated that you crack the code on that because it's so key to success that, I mean, Lou and I, with his company, All Metals and Forge Group, which is the sponsor for Manufacturing Talk Radio, as he migrated to different levels of technology, there was always a resistance and adoption curve that was really quite brutal. And you almost had to do hand-to-hand -hand combat to get everybody on the same page and using the so-called new, better software. So I'm glad that you've taken the approach you have because you've taken that hand-to-hand -hand combat out and kind of changed it to hand in hand. I think it's very well done. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's, you know, the the reality is the the future of work is 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 humans and and machines and it's it's how do you augment humans to do the work and uh, most of those humans are not sat at a desk. So it, it's it's often as simple as that. It's just understanding that, you know, whether it's the shop floor or the top floor, uh, you know, whether it's a small manufacturing company or a big manufacturing company, I've seen many CEOs of Fortune 100 companies with the hard hat on, and you know, and so it's really aligning these modern digital tools to that type of work, as opposed to 
a modern digital tool being maybe you know an email system where people are sat behind their desk. So I think it's a it's really really important. And you know we're very excited because you know the reemergence of you know industry um, seen as you know critical to the future of of the planet basically you know because of this intersection of sustainability and uh, and, and productivity. Um, I think is really really exciting. And uh, you know I, I, I certainly don't have any political opinions on, on anything really, but what I do fundamentally believe in is that, you know, the, the, the future of work and the way that technology works in manufacturing, you know, is, is part of the future and, uh, you know, and, and long may it go on. And, you know, I, I, I'm doing some interesting things with the World Economic Forum about trying to create, uh, you know, a really, really improved image of, of industry worldwide so we can actually make it really, really, you know, attractive for people coming out of college because we need them. You know, there's a shortage coming, and you know we can't rely on 30-year veterans any longer because they're not the new generation is not going to stay. So you've got to, you know, you've got to attract these really smart, engineering-minded people with modern digital tools. And I just think it's a, you know, it's a very exciting future for for manufacturing. Albeit, it is a challenge to migrate from the the decades of one way of working to the new way of working. That that still has you know some journey to go. Lawrence, as we wrap this up, I just have one more question for you, and that is, do you do this work predominantly on the factory and production floor and loading and shipping, or is it really from uh, the office computers and the C-suite all the way down to the end of the loading dock? Yeah, so it's, it's, uh, it's a great final question. It's often how I, I finish this up, which is that, you know, our fundamental belief is don't leave anyone behind, uh, meaning the janitor the person that cleans the restroom, the person that does the maintenance, um, if we can capture the data, the best practice of every human activity, it's of interest to the janitor and interest to the CEO because what you end up doing is you change the behavior of the company. You don't sort of say, well, there's the safety guy, there's the maintenance person, there's the CEO. We basically say, look, if we can you know, provide modern digital tools for all work, you just rise the... Uh, you know the competency of the of the company, and and what is really an interesting trend uh, in in our manufacturing customers is is them going across their supply chain. So if you think about where manufacturing starts, you know that they have a supplier that delivers them raw materials. If they if they are connected digitally in terms of how best to produce their product before it arrives on your you know your uh, inbound goods uh, area, you sort of raise the you know the efficiency of the the whole market, and you know there's there's still so much inefficiency. You know, I was talking to an aerospace company last week. There's there's billions of dollars of inventory lying around between suppliers, you know, tier one suppliers, tier two suppliers. So we view that leave no one behind, shop floor to top floor, um, because then you raise the you know the the the, the, the awareness, the behaviour around efficiency, quality, and safety to everyone. That sounds great. We wish you luck uh, going forward uh, as you come up with uh, any new ideas or extensions or uh, uh, add-ons to your program, uh, we'd be sure interested in hearing about it and send us a uh, a press release, and uh, we'd be happy to get it out to our market for you. Um, And, uh, uh, again, we appreciate you being on our show. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for the time, and, you know, really, uh, really enjoyed the questions. Thank you. Lawrence, I just want to uh, share with our audience a couple of things. Your website is parsable.com. So P-A-R-S-A-B-L-E, parsable.com. 
correct. And and you've got a couple of white papers, which uh, if you would like, we would be glad to post with this show on the page we will build for this show within MFG Talk Radio. That's Manufacturing Talk Radio's website. We'd be glad right. to have them there if you would like to have them there. That would be perfect. Yeah, I'll make sure that uh, my team provide the, the most relevant uh, white papers. There's a very good assets out there in terms of you know, explaining the what and the why, and I'd be delighted to uh, forward those two, and I think they'll be very, uh, very interesting reading for your, uh, for your, uh, your audience. Very good. Excellent. And we have been talking with Lawrence Whittle, who is CEO of Parsable. Again, for our listeners, that's parsable.com. Please go to their website and check out what to modernize manufacturing, which is really quite insightful and exciting. And we appreciate all of our listeners to this show as well as our other shows, Women in Manufacturing, Full-Time with Amy, Manufacturing Matters with Cliff Waldman, who's coming out with a new show, by the way, called Cliff Notes. And there's also Where's Willie? So, again, thanks for listening to this episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio. Thanks for joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. You can hear our next broadcast each Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at mfgtalkradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.